It's the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast with your hosts, the Wolf and Action Jackson, who are keeping rock alive by talking classic rock, hard rock, progressive rock, heavy metal, 80s music, early MTV, UK vs. US chart success, and much more. This is the home of classic album and live concert reviews and your place for interviews with artists and legends. You're rocking with the Wolf. Hey, out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to episode number 169 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. The Wolf. And I will be joined, as always, by my partner in crime from the East Coast of the USA, Gary Action Jackson. And we thank you all for tuning in last week to our show on Pink Floyd's The Division Bell. Which is 30 years old this year, if you can believe it. Maybe not the number one album for Pink Floyd fans out there. And of course, the hardcore Roger fans don't count it as a Pink Floyd album at all. It may not be our favorite, but it came out while we were in college. We have great memories of not only hearing that on the radio and playing it in the dorms, but I did get to see them on that tour. The only time I saw Pink Floyd, and it brought back a lot of great memories for me. And it's better than you might remember. It certainly was for us. So give that a chance. Listen to the Division Bell and also check out Show 168. Now, while we're talking about Pink Floyd, another album is having an anniversary in the Pink Floyd universe, and that's David Gilmour's About Face. Solo album he released after the last Pink Floyd album with Roger Waters, The Final Cut, which was in 1983. Roger had been threatening to go solo for a while. When he's making The Wall, he also had the pros and cons of hitchhiking idea, and he kind of presented them both to the band. You want to do Wall, you want to do hitchhiking. They chose The Wall. Then in 1983, the final cut was leftovers from The Wall. And David's like, no, if this wasn't good enough for a double album three years ago, I don't see why it's good enough now. So while it was Roger in charge of Pink Floyd, now it's Roger or else in Pink Floyd. And I think David's about fed up. And so this would be the album that he would use to try to strike out on his own. Because Pink Floyd was essentially done. They hadn't announced that yet. But that's really what was going on. And David needed to find out, could he do this on his own without Roger, without the big name Pink Floyd? And he enlisted a lot of help from some great people like Bob Ezrin and John Lord and Steve Winwood, Michael Kamen, Pete Townsend, Pino Palladino, Lee Percaro. I mean, an amazing assortment of talent appear on this album. But is he going to be the next David Bowie? Is he going to be the next Eric Clapton as a solo artist? Is that even what David wanted? I don't know if he even knew. And he uses a lot of different pieces that are very of the time, very early to mid 80s and lots of horns and things like that. So it's a little uneven, but there are some real gems in there. There's also a lot of stuff that he borrowed from past Pink Floyd and is giving you a bit of a clue to things that will come out on Pink Floyd albums in the future. So you have to listen to those. And of course, we put it in juxtaposition with what Roger's doing, the legacy of Pink Floyd, and all that kind of fun stuff. So it's an interesting dive, and we thought we'd check it out as it turns 40 here in early 2024. First, we have a little bit of business to take care of. As always, we like to mention we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a family of about 100 different shows, all music-related. There really is something in there for everyone. You can check them out at PantheonPodcast.com or follow at Pantheon Pods on social media. And my gosh, you've got to go to rarevinyl.com. I know if you're listening to this, you like Pink Floyd, you like David Gilmore, you probably like collecting LPs, picture discs, singles, CDs, posters, DVDs. They have over 250,000 items in stock at rarevinyl.com, including a ton of Pink Floyd 
and David Gilmore stuff. So go to rarevinyl.com, find something you love, whether it's a rare picture disc, or it's something from Japan, or it's a first edition print of one of your favorite albums. Go there, use the code UGLY, U-G-L-Y, when you check out, and you can save 10%, not just on one item, but on everything in your order. And some of that Pink Floyd stuff can get pretty pricey, so use your 10%. You could save tens, you could save hundreds, depending on how old, how rare, how mint you want to go. But they have great folks. They ship all around the world. So check them out. RareVinyl.com. Use that code UGLY and save 10% record collectors. Now back to David Gilmore with About Face. I always love David's voice. I think he's an extraordinary guitar player. And people always say those two Pink Floyd albums, Momentary Lapse of Reason and Division Bell, those are just David Gilmore solo albums that happen to have Nick Mason and Rick Wright around. So I thought, yeah, let's explore that. He did a solo album between Roger Pink Floyd and Roger Less Pink Floyd. Let's see what that's about. Let's check that out. It's got some great folks on it. And I have not a lot of recollection of it from the 80s. So let's just jump in. We're reviewing David Gilmore's About Face as it turns 40 here in The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. 
Well, the good news is we shouldn't need that much time to talk about an album that didn't go gold, didn't go platinum, didn't have any huge hits. We didn't even know about it, really, growing up. (laughs) It's just one of those things like you get into Pink Floyd and then like post Dark Side of the Moon, there's not that much to get into. So you say, all right, well, how can I go deeper? And it's like, well, David Gilmore made a couple of solo albums between the late 70s and the mid 80s. All right, well, I'll get those and see what those are all about. You're like, well, this isn't exactly Pink Floyd, but it's Pink Floyd adjacent. It's closer (laughs) to Pink Floyd than like Roger Waters pros and cons of hitchhiking or radio Mm -hmm. chaos or whatever. So I was looking at this and thinking about it's kind of like the Robert Plant solo albums. Like he doesn't really have anything to prove. He's mm-hmm. already made and he's already sold a zillion copies. At this point in time, Pink Floyd's pretty much over, right? Well, that's right. Four. I mean, th- so this is more like a pet project to him than than trying to prove anything or th- sell a whole bunch of records. Like it's just it's something to do. Get some friends together and put some songs down. Well, you say that, but then I mean, you're right. Pink Floyd at this point is done. The final cut was 83. They made some film for it that was quite odd. Mm-hmm. And Roger talk singing in the dark, basically. <laughs> I remember it was coming on MTV one night and I was like sick and I wasn't going to go to school. Like the next day it comes on a Sunday night. I'm like, oh, mom, I, I was really interested in what this Pink Floyd thing is. So I'm, I'm just going to watch this before I go to bed. And I watched like the first 15 minutes. And I'm like, this is horrible. Now I was like nine or 10, you know, but I'm still like, this sucks. This is not men at work or Michael Jackson. What the hell, man? You know, so, so I'm like, well, I don't like this. But the fact of the matter is if Pink Floyd's over and I mean like done, mm-hmm. then he does have to forge out on his own. He has to become a solo act like an Eric Clapton. Or like a Jeff Beck, his buddy, Mm -hmm. you know, a guitar player, but he can sing better than those guys. So he's like, and you know, the who were broken up. And I was thinking about that when I was doing all these notes, all those great acts of the sixties and seventies have now broken up. Like the who did their final tour in 82, right? Zeppelin broke up in 80 on the death of John Bonham. Deep Purple has been away. Slack Sabbath broke up with Ozzy. They did a couple of Ronnie James Dio albums, but now they're on to trying Ian Gillen and other people. So they're fizzling out. Aerosmith had replacement players and Joe Perry was in a halfway house, you know, like all those super duper ooper stars of the 70s were gone. Mm. And and now Pink Floyd is gone. So David's got to strike out on his own. That's and he's got the voice and he's got the guitar. So he got some superstar power to help him make this record much more so than his first solo record. So the first solo record, was that just uh that was just something to do, kind of test the water, see if you can make something on your own, which, yeah. And I don't know how I feel about that either, because I know what you're going to tell me, you know, oh, I'm just, just kind of a pet project, but you made that for a reason. Well, right. Yeah. And, and I liked it. And it, it used to be, I liked that first album a lot better than I like this one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true anymore. All right. You know, I mean, the fact of the matter is he had nine songs on that first album Three of them are instrumental, so that's a third of them. There's a song called There's No Way Out of Here that I really liked, but that was apparently a cover by the band Unicorn, who I don't know anything about. Hmm. And it actually did better (laughs) than than the About Face album, uh, as far as the charts go. And he just kind of did it with some friends. Willie Wilson on the drums, who's played with Eric Clapton, I think. 
Maybe not. He's got Willie Wilson, Rick Wills on the bass, and then a few other people to come in and, you know, do some backing vocals and stuff like that. Of course, Hypnosis does the cover. But I don't think it goes anywhere. And I think it's between Animals, which is mostly a Roger project, Mm. and The Wall, which is 98% a Roger project. Hmm. So he's like, all right, well, I've got this stuff to get out. Apparently, it's not going to work on Pink Floyd, so I'm going to do this. He said at the time of his first record, this album was important to me in terms of self-respect. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know? yeah, there's always there's always something. There's always a reason why you would do this. You're not just bored. So yeah, it sounds like he feels like he's getting himself pushed out and being made to be a uh, employee of the company. Well, it's also once you're in a machine that big, they have to suppress some stuff because everything has to be Pink Floyd worthy, you know, sponge worthy, CD worthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> not to mention they only make records every couple of years. And if you're mm-hmm. really an artist and creative, you've got more. Right. You, you've got more to do. So, yeah, I mean, they, they also say that Short and Sweet from that album, which he wrote, I think, with Roy Harper, was a precursor to Run Like Hell. And it sounds a little bit like it. But then <laughs> there's some stuff on this album about face that sounds like I'm like, OK, well, he pulled that right off of the wall. Right. Like that's <laughs> definitely Run Like Hell or mm-hmm. that's definitely, you know, I mean, I know that Roger wrote all that, but he didn't play all the guitars on the album. That's David. He didn't sing all the songs. David sang the ones where you needed to sound like a human being and not, you know, <laughs> not an I'm asshole. Sad. <laughs> the world is ending and you're all going to die inside this terrible little blue ball. That's, I mean, <laughs> your priest will rape you until you get to be an adult and then your boss will take your heart. I'm like, geez, Roger, you know, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> was it bad? Because <laughs> it sounds like it was. We got any, we got any upbeat tunes on this one? No. Oh, you know? All right. Okay. But so, yeah, so here it is. And ostensibly other than comfortably numb from like 1979 to 1984 until he releases this he hasn't released he hasn't put together any stuff right because Hmm. roger did all of the wall and then final cut was stuff like left over from the wall which david was very much against he's like these weren't good enough for a double album three years ago why are they suddenly good enough now and he's like, nope, nope, I've been in charge, and when I'm in charge, we do great, and let's face it, the wall was, like, unbelievable, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to argue with that, yeah. It's, you know, it's like a double diamond, you know, double album, it's crazy, <laughs> plus there's a movie. Okay, but then it falls off, the final cut, and plus, Roger had already kicked Rick out of the band, so it's just the three of them, and now Nick and David are kind of working for Roger, he's like, okay, I, I gotta go, I'm leaving, I gotta do something on my own, and then we have this about face, and a lot of people were backing David. I feel like because this is I mean you know look at the talent he has around him on this record Mm. Jackson yeah well I mean that's the that's the no-brainer I mean that's the that's the the sting model that's the you know Eric Clapton you know that you need top-notch musicians on here just to make this easier and you can kind of tell too that the way that they play together is very tight it's very polished yeah Uh, you can well we'll get into the different parts in there but I mean like yeah you've got Jeff Picaro on drums I mean that's a that's that's a that's, but that's a no-brainer. Like, you know, it, it seems like anytime anybody needed to start with the bass, you just picked, I mean, the bass of the song, you pick up Jeff and go from there. 
It's true. And well, I mean, but and then who who else came in to guest on this thing? Well, none other than Steve Winwood. And you can hear it. And I'll point it out on the songs that I know that he's on. On the bass, Pino Palladino. Mm-hmm. If you don't know Pino, then just go look him up. He's played with everybody. And I saw him with The Who. And he plays some killer fretless bass, which we'll talk about, but also helping out on the synthesizers. Oh yeah, that's John Lord, formerly of Deep Purple. Okay, yeah, that's nice. Ray Cooper on percussion. I saw him on that Clapton tour I was talking about when we had Lee Dixon on, the Journeyman Mm -hmm. tour. He's a good friend with George Harrison. Roy Harper, who famously sang Have a Cigar on Wish You Were Here. He did the backing vocals on some of this. You know, Mickey Feet, who was a good bass player. Michael Kamen came and helped. And Michael Kamen, I think, was straddling the fence because he helped Roger with the pros and cons of hitchhiking. And he also helped David Mm. with this one. But Bob Ezrin was brought in to produce this album. Now, Michael Kamen helped Roger with his. But Bob Ezrin, who did The Wall... Mm -hmm. Decided to go the David Gilmore route instead of the Roger route. Probably easier to work with. Easier to work with and more talent for crying out loud as far as the <laughs> voice and the guitar goes. It's not even close. So they're 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 breaking up and Roger's being a jerk. Shaka Zulu there, right? <laughs> it's kind of his thing. So he, he does this. And of course, Storm Thorgerson, who is David's buddy, not Roger's mm-hmm. buddy, does the cover, which is really just a picture of David with his thumb going one way and his face mm-hmm. going the other. But this is 1984. It's not 1978 anymore. And so you've got those big... AOR Journey Asia Toto guitar chords, right? That's right. not the kind of intricate stuff that he's used to doing in Pink Floyd. So he's got to incorporate that into these songs. As well as some other 80s features that Hooks, we'll get yeah. into. Yeah. 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 There's a couple things where it was like, <laughs> if you never heard this before and you put it on, oh, this has to be like mid 80s. Because why would you, why else would you put these, the horns in and some of the synth stuff? I know. Absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, this is Gary Kemp. And this is Guy Pratt. And you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. (laughs) So, yeah, let's get into this quickly because we don't Mm -hmm. have to go in great detail. And then I want to talk a little bit about the tour afterwards because, of course, Chris Slade was Mm -hmm. his drummer on the tour. And we know all about that because he was on our show, show number 81, talking about the day he got the call from (laughs) David to come do this. The day he got multiple calls. Yes, yes. Now, he wrote the music and lyrics to all these songs, except there were two songs that the lyrics were done by his buddy Pete Townsend. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of making a point at the time, like Pete felt confined by the who, you know, you can, you have to do who kind of stuff in the who you can't branch out. And that's why he started to make solo albums. And I think that David felt the same thing. It's like, it can be a little claustrophobic being Mm -hmm. in this big machine that has to be, you know, a certain way to be Pink Floyd. Whereas you've got a little bit more room to experiment and do other things that wouldn't be Pink Floyd. So with that being said, and I couldn't find any notes on this, these the two that, that Townsend did, were they songs that he wrote for him or lyrics that he wrote for Gilmore? Or was the, were they things that were lying around that he was like, oh, you can you can use this? No, he, he actually, I think he asked Pete for help. Okay. And he actually wrote three songs, and I think one of them ended up on White City, one of Pete's solo albums from around the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, it was Love on the Air and uh, All Lovers Are Deranged, which kind of sounds like something he would <laughs> he would say or he would sing about, you know. But no, let's see, the other one, it was called White City Fighting. Anyway, let's jump in here. It opens up with Until We Sleep. Mm-hmm. <sighs> 
It's got this computerized chug thing. I mean, this could have been on a ZZ Top album for all I know. You know, I mean, it sounds a little industrial, but it's like weak industrial. You know what I that's, mean? That's that's exactly what I had. It sound, yeah, it, it's, you know, it, the great, great grandfather of Nine Inch Nails or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like somebody somebody found this on the Casio that beat and they're like yeah just just use that and then they over affected his vocals yeah at first it's like he's trying to be floydy but not kind of thing i don't know it's it's weird but and then it's floydy in some parts but then instead of like really sinister at like the end of the line it's a little bit more upbeat and so i give him credit because it sounds floydy but then if roger's doing it then it comes down and then you're going to die alone (laughs) And, and his is like and then you see a bird on the wing. You know, it's it's nice. It's more up. It's it's happier than something Roger would do. But it's still not phenomenal. You yeah, know? yeah. And and to me, the the kind there is no the voice is all the same. So there is no like chorus to it. And then he comes back down. So it, the the voice kind of drones on in this one to me. And then the fact that 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 beat is throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. After a while, you're kind of like, okay, are we done with this yet? I know. I don't know why they thought this was the one to open the album with, to be honest with you. I didn't love it. No. Yeah. We can just go, we can just go right past that one. I mean, it's not, it's not horrible, but it's not great either. I mean, for an opening track, it's, it's kind of weak. I I just don't like it. Maybe that's why they started off with instrumentals on momentary laps and division (laughs) belts. Like, okay, we're just going to warm you up instead of putting something out there. That's going to mess the whole thing up. Remember when you screwed it up with until we sleep? Don't do that again. Don't do that anymore. Second song is murder. And so I'm like, okay, I'm looking at the track list. I'm like, murder. All right, this is going to be heavy. This is some Roger stuff. And it's this kind of light acoustic bit to yeah. open, you know, kind of a hippie-ish song to start yeah. off with. But you got to give some credit to Pino Palladino on that fretless bass, like mm-hmm. creating the sound of the song, certainly in the beginning. Do you now miss them and the things that they said? yeah and and i don't play the bass but i do understand how the fret versus no fret works and the, mm-hmm. the fact that you can slide around on there is just it just gives it a totally different sound the only problem is you don't have anything to stop yourself. So you have to be really good at what you're doing because with the frets, you know where you're putting your hand. Right. Fretless, not so much. If you miss, it's going to be bad. But yeah, this it sounds really cool and they use it really well in this in this song to texture underneath. Yeah, no, they they use it very well. I mm-hmm. can't give Pino enough because you're right. You got to be good. You got to know what you're doing. Well, Pino knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for the Welsh Italian, he is awesome uh, at that thing. So that kind of makes the song to me. And then, of course, it builds 
it becomes more defiant and loud mm-hmm. at the end. And he does his good, you know, some some good guitar work at the end, and and it, and there's a little bit of a jam with an organ mm-hmm. at the end of this that, that kind of makes okay, that's kind of cool. It was released as a single in the U.S. Okay, and it was about the murder of John Lennon. So I'm like, okay, well that's where that's where the murder bit comes from, and I do have the uh, the album here, mm-hmm. which included the lyrics. Shall I open them? God, these are hard to read. yeah some of them standing some of them waiting in line you could tell it's like people standing out the dakota Mm. trying to get an autograph or maybe a picture or something like that and then and what was it brought you out of the dark was it your ugly way of making a spark making your making your mark you know it's like what's wrong with you so that's a bummer and i've talked to we both have talked to musicians about how the death of john lennon so seriously affected them even if Mm -hmm. they weren't like friends with him but like Gilmore knew Lennon, they were in Abbey Road together a lot when Pink Floyd was just starting out and Lennon would be there, you know, and all the Beatles would working on stuff. And they just thought that that was amazing that they kind of made it right. But like right. The, the recording in the same place as the Beatles hanging out with them. But think, the single didn't yeah. go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And and it's kind of heavy duty for, uh, especially for American radio. And, it's called and murder. Like you said, <laughs> that's number one. <laughs> and like you said, you know, you 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 read the title and you go into it, and then you get that real light intro. And I think maybe some people might have been lost right off the bat on that. I mean, it does get going at the, but it, it takes until about the three thirty mark. That mm-hmm. then it sounds really cool, but I can see why this probably wasn't a hit for most DJs in nineteen eighty four. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? You know, spinning records like uh, here's Journeys, Don't Stop Believing yeah. Now. <laughs> Here's Murder by David Gilmore. And then it turns out this little acoustic piece. Dee, dee, dee. It's like, what? Just, just switch the channel. Goodness gracious. So that's the second song. Mm-hmm. And then Love on the Air. Mm-hmm. Lyrics by Pete Townsend. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. David doesn't always know how to use his writing skills. That's not really his thing. That's not how he emotes. But you get Pete Townsend involved. Like, okay, now you got a real pro on yep. your side. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's 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 pretty soft. <laughs> it it's a little on the soft side. The '80s synth intro is is a little. We didn't need that. And then to me, the lyrics are like, okay, we're going to the we're going to the therapist here. Somebody needs a hug. I know, and that's very <laughs> Pete Townsend, by the way. But this sounds more like a Jackson Brown track than a <laughs> David Gilmore Pink Floyd track. Lyrics, no one will hurt me again. Mm-hmm. No one will cause me to cry. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Is this Pete's bad childhood coming back when he was molested? I don't want to hear about this. No one will hurt me again. No one will cause me to lie. No one control me by pain. No one will cause me to cry. Looking for love in wandering eyes Like a ship trying to fix on a beacon they released it as a single in the UK, mm. April 24th of 1984, backed with Let's Get Metaphysical, which is a instrumental on the second side here. But I mean, I, you know, for a Pete Townsend song, which can be pretty heavy at times, mm. I don't know. I mean, again, is there some good guitar work? Sure. But I don't think it's amazing. I mean, I as far as the songs on this album that I'd listen to, this is probably not one I'd go to. Yeah, and and it's it kind of goes all over the map too. Like you have the '80s intro, intro, uh, intro 
the synth intro. There we go. Third mm -hmm. time's the charm. And then you get that part where it goes, reception is hazy. It sounds like ELO or something there. When mm -hmm. that, and it's just, it's, it's just an odd kind of mishmash of things together. He does do a little picking though in the middle that sounds a little Mark Knopfler-y, which is which I like. Which but is yeah, cool. it's yeah, this just once you figure out the Pete Townsend wrote the lyrics, it's a little more clear as to why he's talking about what he is, but it's just yeah, it's it's very you're kind of laying a lot on me right now, man. Like I when I called you today, I didn't think you were going to tell me about people hurting you and lying to you and everything else, so I know. It, yeah. It's a lot. It's, you know, and it's kind of two things that maybe don't necessarily go together. Does the music necessarily fit <laughs> what Pete's whining about on this right. one? And I'm, I'm not sure that it does. Mm -hmm. But everyone's like, oh, it's David Gilmore. And he's got Pete writing. It Home has run. to be a hit, right? Yeah. <laughs> not so much. But now the next song, Blue Light. Mm -hmm. Now, this one I actually like. Okay. Do you what not? <laughs> well, I was going to say you were you you had mentioned before about the at, at some of the Pink Floyd stuff coming through here. There to, it is. <laughs> yeah, to me, this was run like hell at the beginning. Yep. Yeah, and but then then the horns come in. I'm like, whoa, where's that? What what are we doing here? That's right. That. It's exactly right. Yes, he's got the. You know, he's got it's totally run like hell. I'm like, okay, this is cool. And then you're right. Those big '80s horns come out. And then he hits those big <laughs> guitar yeah. chords, He's not, which is not very Floydian or David Gilmore at all. Mm -hmm. But I still like it. It's 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 got a good beat to it. It definitely is a is a real nice change of pace from the last one. Like you need to you need to switch it up here because we're going to be dragging on, especially with the next track. So the, so putting this in there, it kind of gets things going again. And the, the I've got notes here that the keyboard is is hot. There's a little bit of guitar on the way out, and it's a nice change of pace. But I, yeah, those horns were just killing me in there. I don't know why you needed that. Uh, well, that's just something they did at the time, I guess. Yeah, I guess, I yeah. Know. You need horns in here, man. Everyone's going to love it. <laughs> Everyone's going to love the horns. <laughs> it's not a blues song, you know? But I mean, like, there's a reason you like the Hammond organ. It's Steve Winwood. When I heard Steve Winwood play it on this, I was listening for him. He played piano in Love in the Air. I didn't really notice because I just didn't love the track. Mm hmm. But as soon as I heard it on Blue Light, I'm like, ooh, that's that's Steve Winwood. And I looked it up. Yes, I was right. That is Steve Winwood. <laughs> So I'm like, all right, well, this one is, uh, this is pretty good. And it was released February 13th in the UK, backed with uh, Cruise, which is on the, which is coming up, which we'll talk about here soon enough. Mm -hmm. I don't think it really went anywhere, but you can get it. I mean, you go to rarevinyl.com or you go to Discogs, you can find different copies of Blue Light available on okay. 45, you know, easy to find there. So I'm like, all right, I know that the horns are weird. <laughs> But they're trying to make a bigger sound, right? Right, and I think they're trying to make it sound of the time. You know, this this is what's this is what people are listening to now. Let's put this in here to to make it relevant. Right. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, we're four songs in, and this is the best we've got so far with the weird horns. <laughs> I mean, do you think? Do you agree that what what I I would say that overall, 
uh, backing up, I do like murder once it picks up at the 330 mark. That, okay, yeah. You can't take the whole thing. So as far as the whole song, yes, I would agree with you so far. This is the okay. best one. Yes, because you know I'm right. Song number seven uh, coming yes. up. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get into that later, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're right. So now we go to song number five, Out of the Blue. Mm-hmm. What's your, what are your notes on this one? Well, now you mean we're we're we were at about we were about in fourth gear now, and now we pull it back down. Now we downshift to second gear again. Wah, with that piano intro, we are yep. we're slogging along here. I agree. Yeah, but and and it's it's kind of sad. You know, we were talking about like it or melancholy. I guess is a better word. The strings do pick it up a little bit, and the organ. I don't know who was playing the organ at one fifty, but that sounds pretty good. But it's just yeah this. This is a momentum changer here. I thought we were going to go forward, and now we're taking a step back. Yeah, and and what is this? Out of the blue, with wings on his heels, a messenger comes, bearing regrets for the time that he steals. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I understand why he needed someone to help him with the lyrics once he got back into writing Pink Floyd songs again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, the piano, and it's very spare and a lot of air in it to start. And then mm-hmm. there is kind of a more majestic thing with the big guitar later. Yeah. still not amazing no and yeah i i just thought that maybe we would we would have a little something a little more upbeat here again to to kind of move along but i was wrong so that's the first half of the album and there's only one song on there that we really we'll call it one and a half <laughs> since we like murder once it stops being yeah. the first part of murder so that's one and a half out of five that's not really great and he didn't get great reviews on this like back in the day i think one person thought it was great and then everyone else was just like eh yeah, you know. and yeah, I did. so far, yes, I would say the same thing. It's not horrible, but it's just kind of like, okay, what else do you got? Whereas, you know, Roger's Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking, which came out, I mean, like, I don't know, is it seven weeks later? I mean, they, they kind of came out boom, boom, right back, okay. back to back. Mm-hmm. Some people loved it and some people hated it. There was no like middle ground <laughs> on pros and cons. You either got four stars or or one star <laughs> like people just did not like it but we'll flip to the second side even though i only ever had it on cd and it starts off with all lovers are deranged another townsend lyric right and this one's shorter and kind of more to the point and it's actually pretty good it's it's definitely it's more upbeat it's more rocking i was trying to look it kind of sounds like you're jamming me at the beginning but that didn't come out till 87 so who ripped off who but it, it's definitely a, it, it we're now we're back to upbeat again and I like this. I like the um, momentum change here. Yeah. Put on a new side. And now, hey, we're going forward straight ahead now. It's kind of got that big classic rock sound to it. Mm-hmm. Always be on 
our lovers are direct. I mean, he's, you know, even though it's kind of got strange lyrics in it, he delivers it pretty well. He, he mm. shows that he has, he doesn't just have to do wish you were here or where were you? You know, <laughs> stuff he did later in Pink Floyd. He, he can actually sing a rocked out song. Yeah. And, and I have a note. It sounds like latter day Pink Floyd, like the stuff we just covered on the division bell. Okay. It sounds like some of that, or even momentary laughs. It sounds a little bit like that. Okay. Yeah. I, I would take that. There, there are some, there are some interesting lyrics in here. You know, it takes a fight to start a fight. I, I wonder what Townsend's talking about. You know, he's, he's kind of in the same boat here too, I think where he had a successful band that's now, at this point in time, gone. I'm sure he had internal strife with his bandmates as well. So I think maybe the two of them could commiserate a little bit at this point in time. You know you don't really fall in love unless you're 17. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. The break of day will make your spirits fly, but you can't know what it means unless you're 17. So I guess when you're young, love is pure. When you grow up, it's a job like everything else. I don't know. <laughs> Now, did you go and listen to the Pete Townsend version of this? That that came out later. No, I didn't. Did it's you? Not, it, yes, it's very strange. I think it came out later, but I think he recorded it about the same time because it has a weird ba 80s bass and synth in it. And it doesn't sound the same at all. It's very strange. It's more, it's more light. Like he's, for him, it's more light and upbeat. And it just, it doesn't work like this version of it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's very strange. Well, he asked Pete for some songs. He gave him three. David took two. And the other one came up as White City Fighting on his White City album. He also asked Roy Harper, his buddy, for some tunes for some lyrics and stuff like that but he couldn't relate to it so harper used the tune and his lyrics on his album whatever happened to Yugula," which yes i have okay because it features one james patrick page mm -hmm. on guitar so not to spoil anything but do you find out whatever happened to Yugula? no i never do I oh never do. it's a very strange album it's very <laughs> haunting but it's got jimmy page on it so i had to have it uh-huh and the cover looks like a almost like a, a zigzag wrapper, like something you, you you find your rolling papers in. I'm like, that's interesting. But that was Roy's 13th solo album, Whatever Happened to Ugula. And Jimmy was looking for something to do. And like, like I said, all these guys who were superstars in the 70s, suddenly it's the 80s and it's like, uh, well, now what do I do? You know, I mean. Yeah, and, and that's crazy to think about too because, you know, as we've discussed on a couple of different shows, this everything would turn around. Every, everybody would come back. Everything would be huge again. But if you're sitting there in 1984, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's over. It's done. It's never coming back, I guess. That's right. This is just how it's going to go from now until I retire. So you got these people kind of flailing like, well, what do I do? Yeah, you know, what do I do now? Pete Townsend's first couple albums were good. All Best Cowboys Have Chinese Eyes. And, and you know, he had some big hits with, you You know, Let My Love About, Open the Door. Uh, or, no, what was that? Uh, Rough Boys. and Empty Glass, I think, was the name of the Empty record. Empty Glass was the other. Yeah. So he had those two, Empty Glass and... All the best cowboys that Chinese eyes, and then mm -hmm. yeah, once you get to White City, it's not quite the same anymore. And and he, you know, he's like, eh, it's not, it's not working out. Robert Plant was doing fine as a solo artist, but he wasn't huge, mm -hmm. you know. And and then you know, Rogers over there making pros and cons of hitchhiking. It's not like he didn't have friends helping him. He also had Michael Kamen. He also had one Eric Clapton, you know, on it. He had David Sag Sanborn playing sax. Mm -hmm. uh, he had Raphael Ravenscroft, 
best known for the big uh, Jerry Rafferty song, uh, Baker Street. So, you know, he's got people helping him as well. And I don't know if it was back and forth between them at the time. I think that once Roger took over Pink Floyd, David, and also nudged Rick Wright out. Mm-hmm. I think David was kind of at loggerheads with him, but he's like, okay, well, if Roger's really got this vision of the wall, let's let him do it. The album is an enormous success. The tour, not so much because it's just too expensive to put on. Mm. And they didn't do it in that many cities. And then, okay, we get over that hangover. And then we come back and like, we're still doing wall rejects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we get to the next tune, You Know I'm Right, which just sounds like something they would say to each other. Well, yeah. they'd say about each other. They probably wouldn't <laughs> say it to each other's face. It's a very English thing to do to try to be coy with each other, but then once they're apart, they'll rip each other. Yeah. And this is starting a very big tradition of writing about Roger Waters. Correct. Certainly for the next 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> I think this one, uh, I like the acoustic intro on this one. It sounds a little more ominous. And, and to me, this one sounds the most Pink Floydy. Okay, I can give you that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just just the whole vibe of it. But but the big horns and the strings were kind of 80s though, if you ask me. Yeah, but you know, then you have to ask yourself had they kept going from the wall or from the final cut, you know, what would the next Pink Floyd record have been? I have no idea, but you know, they're starting to incorporate the sounds of the day in here. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't hold up well. And I did. I don't remember ever listening to this record prior to this. Sure. So I have no frame of reference. Like, well, you know, I I remember that fondly so I can look at it more objectively and think, yeah, some of this stuff just doesn't work now. Yeah. And and he's got that kind of, even the guitar is kind of eighties in it, you know, (laughs) it's not really classic Gilmore. And the solo out is very nondescript. If you ask me, there's nothing like, Oh, remember that solo at the end of, you know, I'm right. No, I don't. It kind of blends all in. And David's doing his high vocals. Mm-hmm. on there it's definitely like you know this is the, these are matters of opinion not simple fact and it's like we're, we're, can't we just have a conversation about it you know why are you so entrenched in your and roger is still entrenched and doesn't seem to want to listen to anybody else mm. so david was on point there yeah you know, now we really seem to have a problem and it won't just disappear and all the friends we thought we could rely on just want to whisper in my ear. It's just a matter of opinion. You know you keep both in sight. Why should you bother with the other side when you know yours is right? Couldn't be any more about <laughs> Roger Waters. Yeah, I did. That's what I got out of this. And I, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if you could have, if you could have talked to him in this time period. Like, you know, what what do you what would you think? Were you excited? that maybe you were done with this and you could move on or were you upset that you know he had tanked this or you know if only you could get over this one hump we could keep going i don't know i don't either but whatever he's <laughs> <laughs> It's, it, it does ha- it does have to be an odd situation where you run into like you just you're just in an impasse 
Like mm-hmm. this person will never listen to what you have to say. They're set in their ways. They don't want to do anything else. So you just have to say, oh, we're done. I know. And the, and the competition continued. Like this went to 32 about face on Billboard. But Rogers went to 31. You know? mm. And it and Rogers did a little bit better in the UK than David did. So there is this kind of competition going on there. Mm-hmm. But I think David did better on tour. And we'll get to that here in a second. Okay. The, uh, the eighth track, Cruise. Now, this isn't a bad song. But then when I learned it's about Ronald Reagan keeping cruise missiles in Great Britain at the time, and he starts with, you're making a mistake. I'm like, okay, well, now this is a political thing. <laughs> and I just don't love those political things. But he gets into some reggae stuff at the end here. Yeah, that's a that's a little bit of a change up there. At about 3.30, we just go into an island breakdown with the reggae organ and guitar. Yeah, it's 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 a little odd. I mean, it just seems out of place, especially like, are you talking about America? Why? Because we're close to the Caribbean. Is that why you put the <laughs> reggae thing in there? It doesn't it doesn't make a sense. And you talk about truth and justice, justice and right power and glory. Are you going to save us? I'm like, yeah, but I do kind of get it, too. It's like, OK, so you're you're having a Cold War with Russia mm-hmm. and you got this mutual deterrence. Right. Right. And now you've put these cruise missiles in our land. So now if the Russians want to knock out cruise missiles, they got to bomb us, not you. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> so, but so thanks. <laughs> yes. Thanks for that. But the fact of the matter is we're saving your ass, too. So you got to have a little skin in the game. Mm hmm. And that's what we're doing here as America. And you might not like it, but then if you don't, hey, build your own cruise missiles and point them at Russia. Oh, wait, that's right. You can't. Yeah, you need us to do that for you. Like a little <laughs> child needs mommy and daddy to tie her shoes. And that had to be tough for people in England because, I mean, at one point in time, you were the greatest superpower on the face of the earth. And Easily. now you're, yeah, now you're relying on the kindness of strangers. Yes. You know, saving our children, saving our land, protecting us from things we can't understand. Power and glory, justice and right. I'm sure that you'll help us to see the light and the love that you radiate will keep us warm and help us to weather the storm. Well, we were trying back then. <laughs> We were trying. We were doing better then than we are now. I'll tell I was going to say, funny how all that went away. Oh, wait a minute. No, it didn't. Yeah. Still want us to take those back. <laughs> you might have to dust those off, make sure they still work. <laughs> Has anyone got some new batteries? I'm going to do a battery <laughs> test here. <laughs> Nigel, did you bring the D batteries? It's, anyone got a nine volt around here? I want to make sure this nuclear whistle works. <laughs> Hi guys, this is Chris Slade, drummer of ACDC and many others, and you're listening to the ugly, I mean really ugly, Werewolf in London. Then there's Let's Get Metaphysical, which is a B-side to uh, something. It's instrumental with horns to start. I'm like, what is it with the damn horns on this? Well, we paid these guys to come by, so might as well get our money's worth. Yeah, and then there's the big guitar note. And I'm like, okay, we're yeah, going to get we some go. good guitar. Yeah. Here we go. Here's some David Gilmore. Mm-hmm. And then there's some stuff with the synth, you know, which <laughs> is 
very 80s again. <laughs> and then arrangements with the orchestra, which I guess happened at Abbey Road. I'm like, that's great. But then you couldn't come up with any lyrics to this. Mm. Interesting. What did you think about Let's Get Metaphysical? I mean, it, it it's okay. I mean, it's a it's a... It's it's not what I was hoping for. It doesn't have the the sweeping guitar in there that that I've been waiting for this whole record. So I mean, yeah, it was basically just eh, okay. I mean, it's almost at the end of the thing. I now have a bad taste in my mouth for these ones at the end because I'm like, did you just bury this at the end of this record because you didn't have anything else to do? I know. Uh, you needed a little bit of a time filler, and also, you know, it's the play on Olivia Newton-John, which is silly. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Give me a break. You're not Olivia Newton. Yeah. We're not getting physical. We're getting metaphysical. Oh, okay. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> Although they do have that connection because Olivia Newton John was in Tomorrow in the early 70s with Chris Slade on the drums, and Chris Slade would play drums on this tour. That's how you connect them. Wow. You know? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Now, the cool. last song, Near mm. the End, which like, yeah. thank God we're near the end. <laughs> and I guess it's like, is this near the end of Pink Floyd, near the end of your relationship with Roger? I feel like it is. Yeah, yeah, because because of the, some of the lyrics he gets into, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, It's a little wallish, you can hear. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it sounded like something that maybe had been around for a little while. Okay, interesting. The, the fact that he's basically just singing along to the to the tune boom 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 that's kind of that is uh, reminiscent of the wall yes and then when he starts talking about there's a there's a stranger uh where once there was a friend here mm -hmm. we're talking about okay so we're going back to waters again here yep and even the way it starts off and when you feel you're near the end mm -hmm. will you just turn it over and start again is there a stirring in your heart as the time comes when we will have to part? So this has got to be the end of Pink Floyd. Like mm -hmm. this this band that I've been with since college days in my hometown, because they all went to Cambridge, but David's from Cambridge. And so he's like, yeah, you know, standing in silence, holding my breath, disconnected and dry. And though I'm certain that there's nothing left to hold on to, to give or to try, some things never change. No, don't ever change. Standing in silence, holding my breath, disconnected and dry. And though I'm certain that there's nothing left to hold on to, to give or to try. Some things never change, no, don't ever change. And I'm feeling the cold. And yet, and then he, there's this acoustic solo at the end, or mm. it's kind of close to acoustic. It's kind of got some good texture in there. And then it's kind of got the usual Gilmore solo out there. Yeah, where he moves into the electric solo, yeah. That's right. So, look, it's got some great guitar work on it. His voice sounds fantastic. But I just, I think the songs just aren't there, despite all this help from all these great people. Yeah. It still, it just doesn't stick out that much to me. I mean, there's a few good songs on here. I like Blue Light. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I like all lovers are deranged. <laughs> and I, I actually love the title. Of I know that. it's so Pete Townsend. <laughs> and then near the end, I actually kind of like that song, but it's not like I'm going to like go to this. And that's why for so long, I always liked his first solo album mm-hmm. better than this one. Because this did sound 80s and overproduced, and and it does have all these people on it, which, I mean, it's great to have all this talent on here, but it's like, are they really making something fantastic? And Bob Ezrin is coming off The Elder in 1981 (laughs) by Kiss, music from The Elder, which is forgettable, if not regrettable. But then, of course, he has to take it out on tour. And he did, you know, a bunch of months out there, and he played the entire album. This one? Yeah, every night. Okay. Oh, right. I know. He would do 15 songs a night. There's 10 on this album. He'd do all 10 on them. Then usually he'd do three from his first album, including There's No Way Out of Here, which is mm-hmm. technically a cover. He'd do Run Like Hell, usually in the middle someplace. And he closed with Comfortably Numb because, okay. of course, you close with yeah. Comfortably Numb. <laughs> And then I think when he came to America, he started to switch out There's No Way Out of Here and stick money in. Okay. So then, you know, so now there's three Pink Floyd songs in there. And it's probably people like, look, people in America know you as the guy from Pink Floyd. You got to give them a little more Pink Floyd than just two songs off the wall. So he would stick money in there. And he had a great touring band. We know that he had Chris Slade Mm -hmm. on there, but he also had Mick Ralph's on tour. Okay. With him. Probably most famous for being the lead guitarist of Bad Company. And then he did a little piano, I think, on Let's Get Physical is the is the note here. Mickey Feet was on the bass. And on the sax, Raphael Ravenscroft. All mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Our man from Jerry Rafferty. When you said that before, I'm like, wait a minute, he was on this record, wasn't he? And then I'm like, no, he was on the tour. So yes, he's he's still He was on before. Roger's record. He was <laughs> on, on David's tour. tour. Yeah. You want to come out on tour with me? You know what? I think I got, Roger, I got another gig. Um, I'll I'll, I'll see you later. But Roy Harper and Nick did come to his gigs at Hammersmith, which were filmed, I guess. You could get this on VHS back in the day. I don't know if you could get it on DVD, to be honest with you. I don't even know (laughs) if it's possible. I'll have to check that out to see. I'd I'd just like to see Chris Slade at that point in time playing the drums. You can see it on YouTube. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I'll look for it there. You can check it on YouTube. Now, here's the thing. So Roger also went out on tour, and he got Gerald Scarf, you know, the guy who did all the stuff for the wall and has done a lot of stuff okay. for Pink Floyd. Yeah. He got him to do sleeve design and illustrations and stuff like that. So they're both kind of holding on to their old connections there, for sure. But Eric Clapton did the tour with Roger. And we got to ask Lee about this at some point, because Roger didn't like that Eric Clapton was on tour with him. Because when they come down to do... And why did you like did introductions you there? Eric got a much bigger reception, got a much bigger applause than Roger ever did. And he's like, yeah. what is this? You know, the name's Roger Waters and I wrote the wall and I'm a big deal. And uh, I'm like, sorry, you're not God. Right. <laughs> that's who's playing guitar for you, pal. So. Yeah. I mean, especially in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. Because he had been a solo act for so long. Mm hmm. And this is Roger's first foray into that. And so I think that pissed Roger off. But hey, you know, the sun coming up could piss Roger off. I mean, he's just an unhappy young boy. He's not even that young anymore. Like, you know, Roger, my my mom lost her dad in the World War II also. And it did affect her life. The difference is she didn't whine about it every fucking day of her life the way you do. 
every fucking day and then blame other people for his death. Give me a break. You suck, Roger. You know you do. You wake up in the middle of the night sweating because, like, oh my God, do you think people know I suck? Yes, <laughs> we do. But the thing is, because his lyrics are so biting and so on point that people still to this day, and I remember listening to it in high school from people, hey, Pink Floyd is nothing without Roger Waters. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Pink Floyd is like 80% Pink Floyd without Roger Waters. But... <laughs> Some people just feel that way. I mean, did you encounter people in high school saying stuff like that? Oh, abso- oh absolutely. Yeah. It was, especially when, uh, when Momentary Lapse came out, like, this mm-hmm. is not a Pink Floyd record. Yeah. It can't be without Roger Waters. I'm like, well, I kind of like it. You might want to give it a chance. It, you know, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. And that's the, right. The machine is going to crush you and you're nothing but a cog in this giant wheel. And yeah, this is okay. But yeah, no, there definitely were people in that camp of if Roger Waters isn't on it, it's not a, it's not Pink Floyd and yeah, they suck. Exactly. So, but I mean, obviously you could listen to those two albums and realize they were better together than they were apart. Right. Now, I think that David became a better solo act and songwriter later in life. Mm-hmm. Of course, people would say he had practice with Pink Floyd in the 80s and 90s because they argue because that's basically his solo work anyway, which is a little jaded to say that <laughs> if you ask me. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, come on. It's Nick was there. Rick was there. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of people were there to, you know, to make it a Pink Floyd thing. And of course, we love Momentary Lapse and Division Bell has some good has value to it. Right. Yeah. But at this time, it was like. And music has changed. You know, we, we'd gone through punk. We'd gone through new wave. And we're kind of in the middle of this big AOR thing going on. And they don't exactly fit in anymore. And you're not quite the legacy act because you're not just doing old stuff with the big screen, with all the effects and all that. But you're also kind of not delivering on, you know, hot singles, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. And I think the other problem, too, is, you know, you look through all these people and you say, wow, these these guys are great musicians. This is going to be a great deal, but that's, I don't want to say that's all they are, but that's all they are. Like they just show up and they're like, okay, what do you want me to do? Well, you know, let's, you know. Yeah. It's it's not a band. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're telling me what to do. You know, as soon as you turn the light on, I'm, I'm there for you. But yeah, it's, and, and even going back to the, talking about Roger Waters writing the wall. Okay. But he didn't put it all together in the studio. You still had the band guys that would come in here and put their parts in to make it what it turned out to be. I think that might have been the problem here is everybody's just kind of standing around waiting to be told what to do. Yeah. And although I think that his tour was successful, I think at the end of it, he kind of realized, you know what? I'm not, I don't even really want to be a solo artist right now. It's, it's, it's tough. I think it's tougher than people think. And you know, didn't Joe Walsh say something about that? Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to have all the decisions on me. I don't want to have everybody just staring at me, looking for the next, well, what do we do now, boss? I want to be part of something. Well, yeah, it was Henley said it too. I mean, yeah. he was like, every sour note, that's your fault. Every yeah. bad t-shirt, that's your fault. You have to do every single interview, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's like, so, and he had a very successful solo career, mm-hmm. you know? He won Grammys and MTV Awards and Platinum Records, very successful tours, but he was even like, I think I would like to go back to the Eagles, so it's not all on me anymore. Right. So yeah, it, it's tough, you know? And so then what eventually happens is Roger's like, Pink Floyd's over because I've left. And then Nick Mason's like, nope, I've been in Pink Floyd just as long as you have, Roger. And you want to leave? That's fine. People leave bands all the time. Mm-hmm. And then David comes back. He's like, yeah, we're going to continue with Pink Floyd. And we're going to get Rick Wright, who you kicked out unceremoniously. <laughs> 
we're going to get him back in the band too. And he's like, no, you can't. You can't do that. I'm gone. And so he sued them. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, great. Now we got to get lawyers involved and stuff like that. He tried to sue them for using the band name. He tried to sue them to not play any songs that he had written or performed on or something like that, which is impossible. It's ridiculous. You can't do that. I mean, they, they still have to pay you when you play them, but anyone can go out and play those songs, Roger. Like, right. absolutely anyone can. So, I, you know, I don't know what was up his butt, but but I do. I mean, look, he's like, no, this is my band, and I'm not in it, and right. it, we're shelving it. Like, nobody no. can else, Yeah, nobody can have fun without me. Exactly. I'm taking my ball and going home. I'm like, sorry. That's exactly what that was. The ball belongs to all of us, and we are all going to use it in your absence, whether you like it or not, you asshole. <laughs> You know, and I, you know, and, and I, that's what everyone says about Roger Waters. I remember he was interviewed on 60 Minutes and he, the guy even said, like, I had to be careful with Roger because I heard he could be a little prickly. And then they had like more 60 Minutes, like a thing that they stick on the Internet or whatever. Yeah. He's like, no, I heard he, 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 he didn't even like use the code words. Like, I heard he could be a real prick. So I had to, <laughs> you know, and he, he pushed him on it, too. He's like. Well, don't you miss David Gilmore? Don't you miss his musicianship? He's like, no, I'm surrounded by it. I'm like, I'm sorry. You're not surrounded by David Gilmore level. Of, <laughs> I mean, you've got great musicians, no doubt, but they're not like David. But David can't write a song. He, he can't write the lyrics. Right. It's yeah. just not his thing. Mm -hmm. He can do music, absolutely. He can make amazing solos and emote through his guitar. But he's not the guy you want writing the lyrics necessarily. I mean, we, we've seen it. And, and I, I gave him some credit on this. Wow, he basically wrote all the lyrics, except Pete helped him with some. It's like, well, he probably actually needed a little more help. <laughs> and to me, I think that's the biggest dig against this record is that it's not, it's not horrible and it's not great. It's just very vanilla. Like yeah. it's, you can listen to it and enjoy it, but like, would you, would you say to yourself, you know, like that CD rack you have behind you, you're staring mm -hmm. at it and saying, well, what do I want to listen to right now? I can listen to anything. Would it be this? Probably not. Probably not. No. I mean, if it came on, you know, if somebody else said, Hey, you know, do you want to listen to this? Okay. Or they put it on fine. You wouldn't, yep. you know, you wouldn't want to poke your ears out, but I don't think you would pick this one. No, no. And look, it's, we figured this one might be a weird one. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a huge hit. It's not a huge hit anywhere. Right. It's not even like, oh, this is big in the UK, but it wasn't big here. No, it wasn't really big anywhere, to be honest with you. But it's still, it's David Gilmore, mm -hmm. you know, it's, and it has all this talent on it. So I wanted to explore, okay, well, what is the deal here? You've got all these great musicians on here besides just david who else have we got you know and or what else is there and there's some moments on here that i really like mm -hmm. but there's also some moments where it's like this is basically the same as you know it's like filler almost pink yeah it, it, it's like pink floyd light yeah which maybe you could maybe if you were really hardcore you'd probably say that about momentary laughs also but to me that he once he got to that point in time it there's a lot more singles on that there's it's a lot more aggressive than this and maybe that's what it maybe that's what this is to me it's just kind of like I, I want to make a record okay you know we're gonna go 100 percent on this eh, maybe like 60 percent 
you know, <laughs> I don't really, I don't really want to work up a sweat on this one. Yeah. I think they were all kind of trying to find their identity. Mm-hmm. Who am I without Pink Floyd? Right. Well, let's go find out. And while well, for a long time there, it was like, no one ever goes solo and does well out of a big band. Mm-hmm. Well, now it was happening. And for some people, it was going well. Uh, Phil Collins was certainly doing very well outside of his mm-hmm. band. Uh, you know, Robert Plant may not be huge, but he's doing fine. He's He's got a career outside of Led Zeppelin. Yeah. So it's like, all right, well, you know, let's let's see. But honestly, this one is not, like you say, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just, eh. You know, and it's kind of soft. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a it's like a sepia tone or something. Like it's just uh, okay. Yeah. Thanks. So maybe we owe it to Roger to do pros and cons. It, it since it's also turning forty, and, and since it came out at this point in time, I think we probably should just to compare and contrast. Now that we've gone through this one, that's that's probably a pretty good idea because you gotta you gotta see the. I don't want to say the the other side of the fence. I was going to say competition, but and maybe it was yeah. at this point in time. Now, I know this one was a bit of an odd one out there, guys, and I really appreciate you hanging in with us for this one. When we did the division bell last week, it's kind of a Pink Floyd classic that kind of grows on you, a bit of a dark horse. They kept saying it's like a David Gilmore solo album. So we figured, hey, David Gilmore's done solo albums. One of them's having a 40th. Why don't we take a look at it? So we dove into this. I wanted to see how it was different from Pink Floyd with Roger. How was it different from Pink Floyd without Roger? It was kind of a placeholder. It seemed like David wasn't sure what to become. He wasn't ready to become David Bowie of the 80s. He wasn't ready to be the next Eric Clapton big solo artist. While he wanted to grow outside of the confines of Pink Floyd... I think after this, he probably realized, you know what? It's not so bad over there. I get to play really big gigs, make a lot of money. And maybe if I get rid of Roger, eh, Pink Floyd wouldn't be all bad. And of course, that's exactly what happened. And this was a contributing factor to all of that. And because we talked to the great Chris Slade about it on episode 81, we thought it'd be a fun one to go over. Not our favorite, but an interesting listen nonetheless. And I know we've got a lot of Pink Floyd, David Gilmore folks out there. So we want to know from you personally, do we get something wrong? Do we get something right? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. Email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. Let us know the bands, the albums, the concerts, the tours, the DVDs, the books, the rock properties you want to hear us talk about here on the show. We are hoping you're downloading, subscribing wherever you get it. And if you're thinking about it, guys, hey, look, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us, and it just helps us grow the show, helps us get more great guests on, helps us find more rock and roll fans like you. Thanks, as always, to Pantheon Podcast for making us part of the family. And thanks to our sponsor, RareVinyl.com, who has so many Pink Floyd and David Gilmore-related items. All you got to do is go there, use the code UGLY, and save yourself 10% off all of them. We've got a first concert memories coming up. We've got a couple of live concert reviews coming up. We've got a couple of amazing interviews coming up. I think you're going to love them. So stay tuned. And to all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 